who's arguably the, the greatest evangelist in this century, which was certainly one of the most amazing pastors in the church of his day. You can read some of his letters and you can see his pastoral heart. He was, without a shadow of a doubt, the most outstanding theologian of his generation, perhaps, in the history of the Christian church, with the exception of Jesus. He's speaking, of course, of the Apostle Paul. We must remember he was just an ordinary Christian, like you and me, filled with the Holy Spirit, saved by the grace of God. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul and reading his pastoral epistles in the New Testament is that throughout them all, he's vulnerable enough to share his personal struggles. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is his raw honesty. One of the things we see in 2 Corinthians is that he was one who was prone to lose heart, to get discouraged. Often because things were working against him and his ministry. In the passages there before us this evening, we'll see that he gives three main reasons why he was prone to losing heart, or he's prone to being downcast. And also in this passage, we'll see that he gives six reasons why he was always and often, at the same time, encouraged by the gospel. And I thought we'd look at this passage as a means of encouragement for ourselves as we begin this new year. Now let me just briefly give you a recap. Second Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, you remember he planted the church in Corinth. It was a church that was in a mess. And indeed when we read the, the, the second letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, the church has been led astray by a group of false teachers. Men called super Apostles. And what we discover in Second Corinthians is they were seeking to sabotage his ministry, seeking to, to spread at the name of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul, the pastor, writes to these Christians, pleading with them to remember the truth of the gospel he had shared with them. Now let me just give, let's just take a cursory reading of the things that in, in, in discouraged and disheartened Paul. Look in at verses 2 and 3. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By implication, what Paul says here is he's speaking about the ministry of these false teachers, these so-called super apostles, and saying that they're coming to the church of Corinth and they're employing disgraceful underhanded ways in their ministry. Even deception, cunning. They're tampering with God's word. As a pastor who planted this church, this pain the apostle. Those who were now overseeing the church he once planted and pastored, they were frail frauds, they were sham. Now listen, this isn't just a first century problem, this is also a, a 
21st century problem. You're false teachers in every generation. You know one of the most discouraging things is that you can look around the Christian church worldwide and there are many men, many women who claim the name of Christ and their wolves and sheep's clothes. They employ disgraceful, underhanded ways to manipulate people, to get money, to do favors. Think of the wealth, health, and prosperity movement. They, they propagate false truths. Some of them claim to be faith healers. They make false promises. And you know, one of the most discouraging things is when you meet Christians who have invited these lies. You know, the welfare and prosperity movement, they're an easy target. Sometimes false teachers come dressed as sheep. In the reformed evangelical movement, we've been with our, we've had our own scandals in recent, recent years. And it's so disheartening, so discouraging. Because the heart then is saying to be downcast. So first of all, false teachers super apostles are a source of major discouragement for Paul, but another major discouragement is the God of the saints. Look at verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. One of the things that can be paid Paul's heart was that for so many people in Corinth, the reason they didn't believe was because Satan had blinded them to who Jesus was and to what Jesus had done. They failed to see the, the glory of Christ. In fact, instead they were captivated and captured by these super apostles, by this world. Again, this isn't just a first century problem, this is a very much so a contemporary problem. How many of us have loved ones that we would long to see in the kingdom? But the reason they're not in the kingdom is because they've been blinded by the God of this age. How many of our friends or our colleagues or neighbours have their disinterest in the gospel? Maybe it's a child, a sibling. There's nothing that gives you to the slightest hint that they're interested in the pain. We, we have a conversation with them about the gospel that seems to be this veil over their eyes. How discouraging is it when you raise a kid in the faith, you've seen them baptized, you've sought to see them grow, and yet they've abandoned it. They prefer lies and they prefer darkness, they prefer blindness over truth. Light, sun. This painful caused them to lose heart and discourage them. The false teachers, the God of this age, but that wasn't the only thing that discouraged Paul. So good did the hardship and sufferings of the Christian life and ministry. Look at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. In verse 16, another reason he says there is that outwardly his outward self is wasting away. You don't know what Paul said, but you know one thing that because of the many beatings he received, because of the shipwrecks he was in, he was a man with a body that suffered a great deal. 
You don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, someone speculated. You may have had an eyesight problem. You may have lived with a constant weakness in his life. You discouraged him. You got him down. And the suffering he received as a Christian, every time he seemed to take two steps forward for the gospel, there would be those who would come and would persecute him, who would seek to destroy the work he was doing. Got him down. And there are things in your Christian life, there's things that get you down. You seem to take two steps forward in your Christian life and then you end up taking ten steps backwards. There's suffering. Because of persecution, because of rejection. Or perhaps it's just your bodily, your body, it's failing you, it's frail in different ways. Maybe it's your mind, maybe it's your mental health. Yes. Not just a first century problem, it's very much a contemporary problem. So Paul was someone who lost heart at times because of false teachers, the God of this age, and because of various suffering, hardships, even bodily weakness. So here's the question. In the face of all these discouragements, where did you go to find strength to keep on keeping on? Well, if there are three things that caused him to lose heart, get this, there are now six reasons he gives in this passage that caused him to take heart. There, there are double more reasons for encouragement, Paul lays out here, than for discouragement. Reason number one, the mercy of God. Look at verse one. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What kept Paul from losing heart in his Christian life and his ministry? The mercy of God. Church family, it is when we lose sight of the mercy of God that has been poured out on us that we lose perspective. That we lose heart. It's this reason why every single day we need to remember afresh the mercy that has been poured out on our lives. We need to remember what God has done for us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want a new resolution, here's a new resolution. Wake up every morning and thank God for the mercy He gives you. It's new every morning. Because great is His faithfulness. You know when you read through the pastoral epistles of Paul, you know there's one thing you never got all over? Was the mercy that was poured out of his life by God. He never forgot his testimony. He never forgot what he was before he was in Christ. Paul said, this is Paul speaking, right? He was a violent man. He was a persecutor of God's people. He was a blasphemer. He was a religious terrorist, extremist. But all that changed when God arrested him on the road to the masses and the man whose eyes were blind were open to see the sun and to hear the sun. And Paul realized he did not deserve the kindness of God. He did not merit it. He deserved the just judgment of God. But instead he was shown mercy. One of the ways to and all his heart is remind yourself of the mercy that you've been shown. And it's not just past mercy, it's present mercy. 
Notice that Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Paul knew that he planted this church in God, and he'd been an ambassador for Jesus Christ and the gospel. It wasn't because of his cleverness, it wasn't because of his giftedness, it wasn't because of his pastoral heart or his eloquent tongue. It was all because of the mercy of God. You know, Paul knew this, the difference between him and the false teachers in the church was the mercy of God. God had opened his eyes, their eyes were still blind. They were still walking in darkness. Paul knew the only difference between him and them was mercy. Ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you hear this statement or this phrase? Mercy ministry. If what comes to your mind, first of all, is someone giving someone else something to at least the lost the land, then you have lost sight of the mercy of God. Because mercy ministry at its heart and in truth is God having mercy on us, his people. Before we ever do anything to anyone else, we, God, have mercy on us. Paul did not lose heart because he remembered the mercy of God. Number two, he did not lose heart because of the glory of Christ. It's because of the importance of the glory of Christ that Paul was able to keep on keeping on. Look at what he says in verse 4. We saved us all in his power to keep unbelievers from seeing what? seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Then look at what he, he finds in verse 6. For God who said, let light, light shine out of darkness to shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan tries to obscure us from seeing Christ who he is in all his glory Paul says, God is the one who enables us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You don't keep one keeping on in Christian life. It's catching a sight of who Jesus is in all his glory. You know the way that the sun gives us light, gives us light, gives us vitamins? I don't know if any of you struggle with sad Disorder, you know, seasonal affective disorder, you know, you're not getting up sunlight. When you gaze upon the Son of God, the Son in all His glory, you start to flourish in your eye. He gives you light in life. He's the one who you were made to live in relationship with. You know, when you start backsliding, it's when you take your eyes off Jesus. So when you start fixing your eyes on everything and anyone else and everything else, Paul says the thing that kept him keeping on, not losing heart, was beholding the glory of Christ. Now, this is so subtle that in verse 5, Paul realized that there was something that could easily distract him from the glory of Christ. Look at what he says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just looking at other things. To keep you from seeing the glory of Christ is looking at yourself. One of the subtle strategies of saying for every preacher is that he wants to get us to preach self and not Christ. 
Paul remembered that the people of God either keen in themselves was to remember the glory of Christ. That's what encouraged him. That's what kept him from discouragement. So the mercy of God, the glory of God. Now this is my favourite one, right? The surpassing power of God. Look at verse 7. That we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I think this is the most staggering fact of Christianity or one of the most. God entrusts his most precious gift gospel, his Holy Spirit himself, into people like you. We're broken, we're messed up, we're sinners, and yet he places his precious possession himself, his gospel, in you and me. You know that it's been a practice from ancient times to place precious possessions in the strangest of places. So some people have got precious antique hide in the house somewhere. Some people are saving up with a stash of cash and throw it away somewhere. Often some are strained. So a few years back there was an article about um, a group of college graduates living in upstate New York, three of them, who chose to rent an apartment together. And being smart college uh, graduates, they decided that they needed to furnish this new apartment that they moved in. So they went down and visited the local Salvation Army charity shop to see what they could pick. One of the things that was going to hit this was the couch. The problem with your apartment in upstate New York was that it was a tiny, tiny apartment, so they couldn't get a big couch, and all the couches they could see were big. And then there in the corner they saw this little couch that they knew would fit. The problem with it was it was shabby, it was smelly, it was not the sort of couch you might have to bring into your home. They swear among themselves, whether or not they should buy it, and at the last minute they said it was 20 bucks. Let's just buy it. Took it home. Uh, yeah, it's not only, it wasn't, it was an ugly couch, a smelly couch, but it was the most uncomfortable couch. And so as they tried to make it comfortable, they started patting down the cushions on it, and as they were doing that, they realized there was something strange. And they were cushioned. Filled out another envelope, and in that envelope was ten thousand dollars. Started just pulling out all the At the end, they all the money on one of the beds in my house, and they found forty thousand dollars in this old, shabby, smelly couch that they bought for twenty bucks. Now, Julie, the dilemma they had: keep the money, pay off our summer college debts, travel more. Trying to trace whose money this couch once was. Because she was living on to this, so they grabbed this living on to this, so what they did is they phoned their parents and asked for advice. My parents gave them this advice. Don't tell anyone, but you should try and look into it and see if you can trace the owner of the couch. And just by chance, on one of the envelopes they pulled out of the couch, it had a name and an address. They located person who owned this couch. It was a 91-year-old woman. And her sons had come into her house and were so annoyed with this old couch that they took it straight down to the Salvation Army Charity store, not knowing that part of their inheritance was in that couch. <laughs> the woman had been a generous woman gave them a 
they've indulged each. We're so thankful that they've determined our son's inheritance. Do you know where that practice of storing precious possessions came from? It came from God. God stores his gospel in cracked pots that you need. Now, now, see when I say cracked pots there? Let me explain. See, when Paul was writing this letter, see if you had money, see if you had gold, you know what you would do? The first century, Corinth, you'd have a little clay pot, put it in, dig a hole in your backyard and buy it. And see when you wanted it, you just take it and you smash it, there you have the precious possession back. Now this is why God in his wisdom puts his precious possession in people like you and me is because we're crying. We're fragile. But it's so that we can showcase the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. It's when we are weak he is strong. It's in our weakness, it's in our brokenness that his power is showcased in our lives. The, the amazing thing is Paul did not lose heart because he knew that God put his most precious possession in someone like him. And so if you don't want to lose heart, just remember you're a crackpot. God has put his precious possession so that it may shine and showcase from the light. Fourth reason that Paul did not lose heart was the death of Jesus. Look at verse 8 and 9 again. He explains that battering that this little crack that this little clay pot his life received. He says, We are afflicted in every way. Not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. As I said earlier, that one of the things that really caused Paul to his heart was the suffering he faced in ministry. You know that there's all those parts. Afflicted, not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, all those buts point us to the point. Here's the point. So that the death of Jesus may be made manifest. So look at what he says in verses 10 and 11, 12. Here's the reason. We always carry, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul understood this, right? Jesus' death brought life. Jesus' death reveals the love of God. Paul now asserts to us the death of Jesus is actually the shape and the pattern of the Christian life. Do you know that Christian life is a, is a life of daily dying? Daily death to self. And when we die to self and live for Christ, then Christ, his life, his love is made manifest in and through our life. Here's the, the paradox of Christian life, right? When you die to self, you bring life to others. When you die to self, you bring life to others. That's what you see at the end there. Death is a work in us, but life in you. Now, our, our, our death to self is not an atoning death, but it's a death of sacrificial we, 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 we die to self. We become living sacrifices and view God's mercy. 
that we might live holy and pleasing lives to God. Gospel ministry without dying is not gospel ministry. Gospel ministry always looks to be dying. Self. So you don't want to lose hope. Remember, but what keeps us going is that when we die daily deaths to self, then we manifest the life of Christ. Reason number five, nearly there. Another reason Paul did not lose heart was the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verses 13 to 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believe, so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You know when you're tempted to stop speaking, you stop believing. And you know, if we can be really honest for one moment, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, we might all as well stop believing. Paul said, we of all people in the planet should be most pitied if Jesus is not raised from the dead. But here's the thing, it's because Jesus is raised from the dead, that means that we have a new life and we will live with him in his presence forevermore. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes absolutely everything. And because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, we must believe and therefore speak. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives meaning to our lives, to our words, to everything we do in the name of Christ. It's interesting, speaking about the Holy Spirit being at work in the life of the believer, look at verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Because of Christ's resurrection from the dead by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now lives in believers, and do you know what he's doing in us? He's renewing us. He's enabling us to live in the newness of life in Christ. So was this paradoxical reality that in our lives we're dying, but we've been made new. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul remind, remember, remind himself of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he did not lose heart. And the most incredible that the Holy Spirit is that he gives us the words to say. So if you look at verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving. The resurrection leads kingdom work being done. And the final point to help Paul be encouraged and open his heart is future glory. Look at verse 17 and 18. But this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but the things that are unseen. Soon Paul looks like Look at everything in perspective. How did his life in the present compare to what his life would be in the future? See all his suffering? See all his hardship? See all his bodily weakness? Do you want to say he describes it? Light. Like a feather. Look at how long it lasts. Light. Momentary. Bleeding. 
just for a short time. But when you, you compare it to that which was just to come, how does he describe it? The weight of glory.
idea that we have double the reason to be encouraged than to be discouraged. But if we, if we are honest, there are many times in the Christian life we do this hard. There are many lives in the Christian life we do like we're not making progress, we're not growing in maturity and knowledge and grace. And so often because we've forgotten that the shaping part of the Christian life is death and life. It's resurrection, it's living with our minds set and focused on that which cannot be seen. It's putting our life in perspective by comparing to that which is to come. So we pray that you would renew our minds, conform our minds to what your word reveals. Lord, we, we, we so often forget that we live our lives by your mercy. But the only reason we're here tonight is because of your mercy. The reason we're not somewhere else is because of your mercy. So we pray that even as we step out into this new year, you would have minds that marvel the mercy that you've poured out of us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.